And this is Encounter with God here on Faith FM, and we do not have another clue for the quiz. It has been snapped, snapped up. up by Rochelle uh, Puga, um, who has uh, given the correct answer is David. Yes. King David, the Bible says, is not in heaven. Where's Rochelle from? I do not know. Oh, she mentioned. Congratulations, Rochelle, from wherever you are. We're going to be sending you a copy of Nature's Superfoods. You will seriously enjoy that cookbook. Every time I look at it, I start drooling. My computer is suffering <laughs> from all that drool. But I will send that to you in the post today, and you will be very blessed by it. Lyle, before we move on to our 20 million movement, our Encounter with God Bible study, I want to bring up something that we mentioned yesterday. Mm-hmm. Uh, because our listeners have been responding to it. Yesterday, I talked at length about Marie Kondo, the KonMari method, a, a method of cleaning up and culling uh, your material possessions and getting your house organized. Uh, it's a, it's a, at the moment, it's hit Australia through Netflix. I made a series out of it. And it's just sweeping the nation, <laughs> causing unprecedented amount of donations. <laughs> and the last month alone, donations have been up by 30% um, to the point where op shops and the governments, local governments are requesting people actually take some stuff to landfill instead of to the op shops. And uh, we discussed a little bit about the spiritualism that's kind of involved with the with the Yeah, she gets you to talk, talk to, your, talk to your um, things when you give them away. Yeah, I'm not sure if she's like yeah, like Buddhist or something like that. Um, I mean, she's Japanese, uh, but she often... I mean, I am not going to stand there and talk to a spanner just before I give it away. <laughs> oh, thank you, spanner, for all of the hard work you've done for me. Yeah. And for putting up with all the abuse that I have put you through. She does like to kneel on the ground every time she enters a house, including her own, and, and just um, sort of communicate with the house and thank the house for what it's done for her. And then she has a spark joy procedure where like you you hold every item you own in your hand and see that it sparks joy for you and if it doesn't you then think this lady has some good ideas but she's a bit of a fruit loop at the same time yeah well she's making a change a positive change I suppose but we do need to be careful about what it is we let into our lives but I am all for organisation and actually and I and I said that the, re- the way that I've been culling my possessions versus the way Marie Kondo has been teaching her method is more of a uh, cold turkey way where I like if I if I'm undecided I might hang on to something for a little bit longer and I have a procedure that helps me to, to detach from it before I get rid of it where she teaches to get rid of it straight away and uh, one of our listeners actually called me up and said you know I wonder if the difference is uh, with the KonMari method because it is cold turkey maybe it's something that works for people who have like a hoarding addiction because with addictions we know from science the best way to stop an addiction is to go cold turkey mm. And so I'm wondering if that's the difference. Like, maybe it's a you know, a actual mental condition, and to and to 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 deal with it, you do need to go cold turkey. That's what, maybe that's why she's having such unprecedented success with the KonMari method. So something to think about. And I do think that hoarding is probably a bit like an addiction, a bit like coffee or or you know alcohol or cigarettes, where it's a bit more socially accepted, and so it might not be as obvious. Well, it depends what level it goes to, because you do oh, get these absolutely. these houses where you know, the house itself becomes packed and has little narrow arrow, little, little narrow alleys running through it. Yes, yeah. um, where people find space to live, and then the yard becomes packed, and then the neighbor, you know, it's just spilling out all over the place. Yeah, and the neighborhood gets very upset about it. And uh, I know there was a story down in um, in Bondi of a person who um, you know was this kind of a hoarder. Oh, I remember that. And uh, the council had come in like six times and just cleaned the place up. Yep, taking it and, away. And uh, in no time at all. It was full again. Yeah, and I, I do. So that's a, that's a real that's a real um, mental illness and an, an, an addiction. Oh, absolutely. But I, I do at wonder. Another level. I do wonder how many people in society are on a, on the spectrum of that mental illness. Because if you think about it, you know we've had the 
we've had the industrial age, which has resulted in mass consumerism far beyond anything that we actually need. We've been advertised to through television and, and media for years now. It's it, it really wouldn't be a surprise if as a result of having that constant blaring on us that we're all sort of on a, on a spectrum of, of having like a consumer addiction and the stuff in our house is a result of that. Yeah, something to think about. And this, is, and this is something I was thinking about the other day as well. We live in a society now where because we get cheap products out of China, mm-hmm. we can have more stuff than any generation yeah. that has ever lived Ever before, and, which yeah. is really remarkable. And so if you look at the, the Australian example, what you've got is that we can't afford a house mm-hmm. like our parents could afford a house, but we can afford stuff. stuff. And we have so much stuff that our parents could never have. Yeah. Um, you know, I even, I even look at um, things as simple as power tools and that kind of stuff that I have in my workshop. And I can run down the street and I can buy, you know, 20 for the price that, um, my father would have yeah, paid absolutely. for one back yep. in the day. Yep. And they say, oh, you know, it's cheap Chinese rubbish. Yeah, but, you know, if I recycle it every three or four years, then I'm still way ahead of, you what know. What your dad was paying. Exactly. Yep. And, I mean, back in the day, if a power tool gave out, you would take it to a, an electrician yeah. and have the have the field windings we re- rewound or something or other. And I also find there's less of a borrowing culture these days because everyone can just afford to buy their own. You don't need to borrow. Exactly. Yeah. And it's almost, it's, almost in, it's almost insulting to ask somebody to borrow their yeah. tools you know it's like no why would you borrow tools go and exactly yeah buy your own. yeah well and this is i i seriously think that this is all lended itself to us becoming addicted to buying stuff and when i first saw the konamari method i thought there's no way this is going to work people are never going to go cold turkey on their stuff but the fact that it's working and like i mean you can even jump on social media right now and look at celebrities who are doing the konamari method the fact that it is working should tell you a little bit of something about where we are as society and in terms of consumerism anyway the point another point that i wanted to bring up about this uh we had another listener a different listener than the one who called me yesterday who called today uh to tell us um about something called fly fly lady.net Flyers like a blowfly lady is and like Lady and the Tramp. Flylady.net. It's a website by a Christian lady who does something very similar to the KonMari method. Um, it's a, it's like a tidying um, home organizational website. Many tips. Um, she'll keep you on track. Uh, that kind of, I mean, looking at it uh, in the song breaks, it's really cool. She, <laughs> she, she asked, you know, are you living in chaos? And chaos is an acronym for can't have anyone over syndrome. <laughs> 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 so, yeah. So, if you listened to last um, yesterday's show and you were inspired and you were interested in doing something like the Con Murray method, but maybe we're a little bit concerned about the spiritual factor. Check out flylady.net. Um, you know, you can sign up, stop there, and she can send you uh, um, um, plans to follow, and she has an app and everything. So, yeah, check it out, flylady.net. Thank you so much to our listeners who help each other out and uh, and tell us about the good stuff. That. So, yeah, flylady.net. Fantastic, Mon. Let's read Revelation chapter 3, and why don't you share with us verse 7. We're going to move on in our series of uh, studying through the book of Revelation, and now we are up to the ch- letter to the church in Philadelphia. So we only have two more churches left to go, and of course the last one is us. Can't wait to get Ooh, there. See what God wow. has to say about us. The Hopefully Church of it's East Maitland. Good things. Church of Newcastle. Church of East Maitland. Is that what? You're yeah, <laughs> it's included in this. Okay, uh, Revelation in this. chapter three, verse. What was it? Uh, seven. Seven. 
Write this letter to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. This is the message from the one who is holy and true, the one who has the key of David. When he opens, no one can close, and what he closes, no one can open. Now, Mon, you were asking about the names of these churches and the significance of the names, Uh uh, what they actually have to tell us about the church and so forth. Yeah. Any idea what the word Philadelphia means? Is it something to do with cream cheese? Because that's the first thing that pops to my mind. (laughs) has nothing to do with cream cheese. Uh, Why would there be a city in America called Philadelphia? Is it named after this city? It is named after this city. There is a reason why. It has a really nice name. Philadelphia. What state is Philadelphia in? Pennsylvania. Yes. Uh And who founded Pennsylvania? Mr. Pencil? <gasps> the inventor of pencils. No. no I'm really off track, aren't Mr. I? Mr. Pen. Oh, man. <laughs> you weren't far off. I wasn't far off. I thought off. you were going to say, Mr. Pen. I'm like, yes, Mr. Pen did. <gasps> Mr. William Penn. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, cool. William Penn founded the state of Pennsylvania and he founded the city of Philadelphia and he named it Philadelphia. After the one in the Middle East. Yes. Yeah. I need to... I need why to, did he choose that name? This is a really important question. It's Let me a give you a bit of history on uh, William Penn and the kind of person he was. He was British. Oh, yeah. At one point on trial for his life mm. for preaching without a license from the Church of England. Oh, mercy. What? That's like punishable by that was, death? That was the death penalty back Ooh, in the day. Um, Do you have a license his to preach? Cor- his case went to court. Mm-hmm. And the judge instructed the jury to find him guilty. Back then, juries didn't have a choice. They had to do what the judge said. Well, that's not really a jury, is it? No, that's right. (laughs) But that was the way it was back in the day. And the jury came back with a non-guilty verdict. Ooh. The reason that the judge had instructed them to find him guilty was because he had broken the law. Mm Mm-hmm. No question. But the jurors recognised that the first job of a jury, and it remains the same today, very few jurors realise this, is to judge the law before judging the accused. Oh, wow. And so they came back and said the law is unjust, therefore the accused is not. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Yeah, so how do you think the judge uh, responded oh, to that one, Mon? He would have been livid. What do you think he did? Did he tear out his hair? No. Did, oh, he, did imprisoned, you... he imprisoned the jury. Oh, what a rascal. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, one up. of the jurors one of the jurors was a man who was incredibly wealthy, owned a shipping company, um, ships all over the world, and um, they were all imprisoned in you know one single stone cell with you know no facilities whatsoever at all. And they, amongst the things that they told him, and by the way, he was Anglican, so he wasn't, you know, Puritan like uh, Winland Penn was. Um, but, you know, they that they imprisoned them there for like six or eight weeks or something or other. And every day they would come in and say, okay, this is what we're going to do. If you do not find this guy guilty, we're going to confiscate every single thing you own, all wow. of your possessions, everything. And William Penn... Sorry, not William Penn, but this particular juror, this wealthy juror, while he was imprisoned there, whenever they whenever they threatened him with that, he would simply say, my freedom is not for sale. Wow. Wow. The courage of this guy. Absolutely. And as a result, William Penn was let free and, of course, fled to the United States where he founded the city of Philadelphia in the state of Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Um, and founded uh, was one of the founding fathers of religious liberty in the United States. Uh, 
Incredible. And separation of church and state because, you know, he had uh, come very close to uh, swinging by the neck because of, you know, um, issues of union of church and state. And the reason that he chose this particular city was because of the meaning of the name. Mm. Philadelphia means brotherly love. Oh, that's beautiful. And so the city of uh, Philadelphia there today is supposed to be the city of brotherly love. Just a quick question. Did any of the other jurors escape as well? Yeah, they all, they they all, uh, that was a uh, major constitutional crisis there in England at that particular time. And eventually they all got out. Oh, wow. That's incredible. And William Penn got away. I was dabbling with the idea for a moment there of finding my own state and calling it Monsylvania, but I don't think I've done anything as incredibly courageous as that to deserve it. <laughs> you can have Lylesylvania. Monsylvania. It has kind of got a <laughs> ring to it, it there, Mike. It's got a bit of a ring to it. Let's just rename. What are, you going to, what, what are you going to name the capital city? Oh, it has to be something really cool. And we all speak Monacanese. I know that much. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the religion will be all your followers who are monolites. <laughs> No, no, none of that nonsense. <laughs> I'm happy just with Monsylvania. <laughs> but yeah, but no. He, he uh, no I, want to, I want to know what your capital city is going to be called. I mean, he came up with a really cool name for his capital city, yeah, Philadelphia. But, that's awesome. But it's brotherly love. <gasps> I wonder what sisterly love would be. Because that's brotherly love. But I wonder what sisterly love. Mm, maybe maybe Philadelphine or something like that. Mm, yeah. maybe, maybe. But I don't have a cool backstory. I'm just egotistical. <laughs> just, just mon. <laughs> I'm just a death spot, that's all. <laughs> but yeah, that's, uh, that's incredible. Everybody who has given their life to Jesus Christ has a cool backstory, Mon. That's true, true. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right, so brotherly love, the city the, of brotherly love. This is a letter to the city and brotherly love like that. Yes. Okay, so what do we find that um, Jesus, what does he, how does he introduce himself? What does he have in this particular letter? So he has the key of David. All right. I don't even, and I get what a key is. I don't know what the key of David is, though. All right, we're going to work through that in a moment. Um, he can use that key, can't he? And the Bible says he opens and no man shuts, and shuts and no man opens. Okay, so he has a key. Watch what's happening here. Mm-hmm. He has a key. That means he can open a door. Uh-huh. The purpose of a door is so that you can go through it. So he can open a door, he can go through that door, and he can close the door. Yes. And he is the only person who can. Gotcha. And it's related to David. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got some clues here. Yep, yep. All right. Now we think about where is Jesus right now? In heaven. Or in the sanctuary. Ah, in the sanctuary in heaven. Yeah. Absolutely. Does the sanctuary in heaven have doors? Or does uh, the sanctuary curtains? have doors? Has curtains. And in the Bible, if you go to Leviticus chapter 1 and verse 2, you'll find that those curtains were called doors. Gotcha. Because they are essentially a, a makeshift door, so to speak. Yeah. They're acting as a door. Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. So, um, and yeah, they're, they're a door. So they're called doors in the Bible. So then we ask ourselves the question, we know where Jesus is in heaven. Mm-hmm. We know... Uh, what Jesus is doing in heaven. So what's Jesus doing in the sanctuary in heaven? He's interceding. He's interceding for us. That's right. So we know that he's in heaven. We know that he's interceding in heaven. Um, We know that he is in the temple in heaven. Mm -hmm. Okay, who was it who came up with the idea of building a temple? Oh, 
Apart from God, that was obviously Yeah, God's I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. But wasn't, didn't David, he wanted to build one or something? David came up with he the couldn't. idea of building the temple. And wasn't David collected all of the material for That's building right. the temple. But he was told not to because he had too much blood on his hands. That's right. So it was he left was to a his warrior. sons. That's right. Yeah. So he was the one who instigated the building of the mm-hmm, temple. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, this is a connection to David. The plot here. is thickening. The plot is thickening. But not only that, if we look at David, David was the king. Right? Correct. Okay. So he was the one who is in charge. Yes. Okay. So who's the king of the universe? God. God is the king of the universe. Um, who is the king of this world? Satan? No. He claims he is. But oh, he, okay, Jesus gotcha. brought it back. Yeah. Amen. Okay. So Jesus. Jesus has purchased this world. So he's the king of this world, right? Mm-hmm. So he has that same authority that David had. Mm-hmm. And he has a key that can unlock a door. He can go through it. He can then close that door and nobody else can. There is only one door in the universe, only one, mm-hmm. that is restricted to Jesus alone. And that is the door to the most holy place of the sanctuary in heaven. Because the uh-huh. only way that you can go through that door is if you have given your life as a perfect sacrifice for sin. That's the only way you can go that door. And there is no other way of going through that door. So when it says here, this is the message from the one uh, you know who has the key and goes through this door, that's basically saying this is Jesus. This is Jesus, and it's a direct reference to the sanctuary in heaven, and specifically the most holy place of the sanctuary in heaven, because only the high priest could ever go into the most holy place on earth. Gotcha. And so therefore in heaven, only the high priest can go into the most, most holy place in heaven. You know, the Father, of course, the, the, the Godhead is there. Mm-hmm. But Jesus is the one who actually has the right to go in there and to minister and to perform the work of judgment that takes place in there along with the work of intercession. Okay, so here's what we've got here. We have a time period that is leading up to Jesus' most holy place ministry. 1844, in other words. And so we would start this particular church around about the time of 1833 with the Great Second Advent Movement. Now, to give a little bit of background history on the Great Second Advent Movement, this was unlike many of the other great reformations the world had ever seen before. So the Great Reformation of the 16th century, uh, which is probably the most famous of all of them, was one that began in Germany. And it affected Western Europe. And that was it. Um, if you look at the, you know, the latter English revivals, say the Methodist revival and that kind of thing, it was definitely more widespread than just Western Europe. But, you know, when the, when the Reformation of the 16th century happened, the whole concept of missions and missionaries didn't even exist. Oh, really? No. No one was sending out missionaries, except for, you know, a little bit later on the Jesuits started to do so, and then a little bit later on the, pres- the, 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 the Protestants got in on the, on the idea as well. But they didn't really kick off until the early 1800s. And so um, e- even, when, even when the Methodists were doing their thing, missionaries was like, a, you know, there wasn't any mission societies or anything like this. It was actually sending people out to the whole world to bring people to Jesus Christ. This particular, and all of these other um, revivals began with an individual and spread from there. So the Reformation of the 16th century begins with Martin Luther. Mm -hmm. Latter English reformers begins with John Wesley and spreads from there. This one was one that didn't begin with an individual. It sprang up around the world. It was the first one that was global and it sprang up simultaneously. 
Oh, okay. So suddenly around the world, you had people from every continent and every part of the planet who suddenly started to read the prophecies of Daniel chapter 8, particularly Daniel 8, 14, under 2,300 days, and then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And they started to preach about the second coming of Jesus. And it was called the Great Second Advent Movement. Okay. Now, there was, of course, you know, a tremendous variety of dates that were given for the return of Jesus Christ. Um, and, you know, all around this uh, particular era here. But the important thing was they were all preaching the same thing. And one date was predominant. I believe for every drop of rain that falls a flower grows And I believe that somewhere in the darkest night a candle glows Was Michael Yazaski and Martha Barlow, Martha Marlow, I should say, <laughs> with I Believe. I was just totally admiring the way you pronounced that guy's surname and then you messed up Marlow. <laughs> <laughs> this is a bit of a thing I do. I get the, uh, the hard one right. The, the hard one, one right. And then, and then, and I'm so concentrated because I do a TV program once a month. Uh-huh. And uh, sometimes, you know, uh, you know, I get Abel Yorgalescu as my. Um, um, one of the co-hosts on it because it's, it has two co-hosts. Oh, yeah. And so you'll have, you know, like Abel Yorgalescu with Colin Hone. <laughs> How and many I, times have you I'll, called I'll, him Colin Hone? I'll, <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get Abel Yorgalescu perfect or Tapiwa Mutsuriwa. Um, I'll, I'll get that one um, <laughs> and then Steve Groom. And, I'll, and I'll, I'll go completely blank. I'm looking at the person now. What is your name? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's funny. Uh, I, I like that you even gave it a go because I saw the name of that song up on the, on the screen. And I was like, I'm not announcing that song. <laughs> Look at that surname. <clears throat> no, Lyle, you're a funny one. I actually find it easier when I don't know the correct pronunciation. Mm-hmm. Um, like tomorrow's interview with, is with... Um, Sven and his name is in Australian is 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 spelt Ostring, mm-hmm. but uh, apparently it's Austring. 
Oh, oh, whoopsie. Is the correct pronunciation. And all of the Swedish people get upset when we do it wrong. Apparently, it has a negative connotation if you give it the wrong pronunciation. Oh, I'm definitely going to do that. So I've been thinking about about that, um, you know, all today thing. Okay, I've got this interview tomorrow. I've got to get this pronunciation right. Else I'm going to, uh, you know, offend a bunch of Swedish people. But, um, (coughs) yeah, so anyway. That's one of those challenges that uh, the challenges of life. But yeah, when you're just reading off the screen, it's like, yeah, I have it's no funny idea. I just read it as it sounds. I've actually known Sven Ostring for many years, and I didn't know I was pronouncing his name wrong the whole time either. <laughs> I don't think he worries about it too much in Australia. Clearly not. He doesn't. He yeah. did tell me when he goes on media that he's like, well, you know, um, this might be taken wrong. Some people are listening. <laughs> we are definitely going to have a chat with him off air tomorrow to find out what that double meaning is. By the way, this guy is a genius. Oh, okay. yeah. Here's he a brain. He so is. we have a brain coming into the studio tomorrow. So Real get your brainiac. brain switched on for tomorrow. Yep. And he's going to be talking about some really, really deep stuff. He gets in. He loves dealing with apologetics. I love apologetics. I just don't have the kind of brain that Sven has. Um, and 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 when he, you know, he outlines his um, his arguments so just eloquently and profoundly. It's like. Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, stay, stay, st- tune in tomorrow morning. You do not want to miss that interview. He's going to be with us once a month for uh, for the rest of the year. So, it's going to be an awesome It's always series. incredible to see when a brain, like a brainy person has dedicated their brain to God, what they can yeah. do with it. It's just incredible. Yeah. yeah Mind-blowing. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we're here in Revelation chapter 3. We are looking at the message of the church in Philadelphia, which yes. we've discovered means right. brotherly and love. So, we're covering some history, some history that went yes. back to 1844. So, the predominant date came to be 1844. Um, they they worked it around and around and around. They argued it. They fought over it. They were bitterly opposed, and the and the more bitterly opposed they were, the stronger the arguments that they had to have, and the more watertight their arguments that they had to have uh, to be able to defend eighteen forty four. And so this is how they eventually narrowed it down to this particular date. Impossible to be any other date from Daniel eight fourteen. And so they began to preach that Jesus was going to come back in 1844. It was a tremendous revival. It was a revival of righteousness and purity. And uh, really, that's what we've got a description of here. And it was a revival that was severely attacked at this particular time. But growing out of it came the Adventist Church. Praise God, you know, 25 million people worldwide right now. Um, With, you know, one of the biggest uh, private hospital networks in the world. Um, Amazing school system around the globe. Yeah, absolutely. Et cetera, et cetera. So good things came out of that uh, great revival of uh, called the Great Second Advent Revival. Okay, let's uh, read what it says here in verse 8. Please, Mon. I know all the things you do, and I have opened a door for you that no one can close. You have little strength, yet you obeyed my word and did not deny me. Okay, so here we find that Jesus has opened the door. He's the only one who has the power. He's the only one who has the right. But he invites us to come with him into the most holy place of the sanctuary in heaven because the Bible says, come boldly to the throne of grace. Amen. So that you can find help in time of need. Don't hold back. Don't be afraid, he says. Come on through. And uh, verse 9 there, please, Mum. Look, I will force those who belong to Satan's synagogue, those liars who say they are Jews but are not, to come and bow at your feet. They will acknowledge that you are the ones I love. Wow. Yeah, that's a pretty strong statement right there. Yeah, it certainly is. I mean, just even calling a synagogue Satan's synagogue is pretty intense. 
And we've talked about uh, synagogue, Satan's synagogue before, and basically Satan's synagogue is a term of, uh, it refers to Satan's church, the church of Satan. And the Bible describes members of the church of Satan as being hypocrites. So if you are a hypocrite, then you belong to the church of Satan. And so that's a, uh, a very, very serious accusation here that God makes about people who profess to be Christians and yet are not Christians. And there's also a, a uh, the other thing that comes through here is vindication. Oh, yes, yeah. This is, a, this is a story of vindication. So it's a warning against being a hypocrite, but at the same time a story of vindication where you've got a group that is going to face some persecution, both at the beginning of their existence, but more especially at the end of time, and that they are going to be vindicated and that the world will say, okay, actually, they were right and we were wrong. Um, anyway, verse 10, please, Mon. Verse 10 says, Because you have obeyed my command to persevere, I will protect you from the great time of testing that will come upon the whole world to test those who belong to this world. Okay, this is a very interesting uh, statement here. Mm. I have come across people who have read the letter to the church in Laodicea, which is the next one, which is one of the most interesting because it talks about the church in our day. And what you're going to find in the letter to church in Laodicea is that God has nothing good to say about the Laodiceans. And so they read that and it's like, no, Mm-mm. surely not. Not me. I'm not a part of that. I have no part with that. And so they then began to say, I'm a part of the church in Philadelphia. Oh, I see. Now, of course, you know the, the seven churches are seven different time periods through prophecy, and so you can't actually become a chart part of the church in Philadelphia unless you can time travel. <laughs> hey, we're working on that. <laughs> a superpower I have always wanted. Yeah, same. Um, I don't mind that at all. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly if I could take some modern technology with me. You know, put a few things in my pocket, go back in time, show it off, you know, yeah. create a bit of a stir and then vanish. <laughs> You'd be messing with people's minds, Lyle. It <laughs> uh, would be so much fun. I love messing with people's minds. <laughs> and you're on the radio. What have we done? <laughs> <laughs> the best time travel I've ever done was uh, in remote parts of Solomon Islands. Oh, yes. Yeah, like that was total back. time travel. Yeah, it's like going back in time. Yeah, uh, Probably going back you know, 4,000 years in time. Wow. Yeah, yep. It was just amazing. And, yeah, you could pull out some fancy technology. I pull out my phone and start taking photos of kids, and you've just got an instant crowd of kids wanting to see themselves. Speaking of that, actually, um, I've decided to take a Polaroid camera to Africa, to Kenya, on this medical missionary trip, and uh, I'll be taking instant pictures of the kids there and then giving them the photos to keep. Nice. And I did that in Fiji in the little um, villages out there, and that blew their little minds as well. So, yeah. Hopefully they'll love that. Yeah, hopefully. Hopefully. Okay. Um, Okay. But here's the problem. If you're going to be part of the Church of Philadelphia, the Bible says that that means you're going to be kept from the hour of temptation. Why is that a problem? Or the great tribulation of the last days? Why is that a problem? I don't know. Because you don't get to see Jesus come back. Oh, of course. Right, right, right. You're not a part of his last day church. Yeah, sorry, you're lost. Basically, yeah. yeah. So people say, "Oh, I'm going to go. I'm going to go back. I'm going to become a part of the church in Philadelphia." Well, that's not going to work for you because one, you can't time travel, and if you do, you are not a part of the last day church, and that's the part. That's the church that we need to be a part of. Anyway, this is Anna Beden with Knitted.
along the way, knitted together by my hands, swept away by the world's demands. You are so fearfully, wonderfully made. Somehow you forgot along the way, knitted together by my hands, swept away by the world's demands. I have called you by name, dearest child. You are mine, you are precious in my eyes. Honored and I love you. I clothe the lilies of the field, though still your life you try. Oh, 
Seventh-day Adventist Church is making a difference in its community. Oh yeah, how? Well, it's worshipping together, loving together, learning together, and above all, preparing for Jesus to return together. Ooh, that sounds good. When's all this happening? Bible studies start at 10 a.m., service at 11 a.m., and guess what that's followed by? Or is it this free lunch I keep hearing about? Absolutely. (laughs) Well, please join us at the Hamilton Seventh-day Adventist Church. Our address is 105 Lindsay Street, Hamilton, New South Wales. Every Saturday morning where you will be welcomed with a smile.
To Alison Brooke with no words here on Faith FM this morning. Mon. Yes. What have we got for question of the day? It is that special time of the day, Lyle, where it is a Q of the D. Mm-hmm. So if you have a question 
And at any point you want to ask it to someone, you can actually call us. You can call us on zero four. Sorry, not zero four. <laughs> You've had to I give your number. I was about to say my number. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's give Mon's number out on radio. No, 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 no. Call us on that, or you can text zero four nine one zero six four six six nine, and you can ask your questions away. We will save them up and ask them for question of the day. Today's question, Lyle, is what is the new covenant? That's a really good question, and. As I answer that question, I'm actually going to begin by talking about the Old Covenant because the New Covenant obviously is the opposite to the Old Covenant. Now, the Old Covenant, a lot of people get tremendously confused over and assume that the Old Covenant is the law of God, the Ten Commandments. Of course, that is not the case. The Bible makes it abundantly clear that that is not the case. So Hebrews chapter 8 is the only place in the Bible where the New Covenant in, in the New Testament is defined. So any anything we study about the covenants must be based on this chapter right here. Okay, so in Hebrews chapter 8, there are a number of verses that um, are very significant to us. Verse 6, the Bible says that Jesus is the mediator of a better covenant established on better promises. So when we look at the new covenant, we find that it has a better covenant on better promises. Therefore, the old covenant was a worse covenant on worse promises. Then we go to verse 7 where it says, For if the first covenant had been faultless, then there would be no place for the second. So the second thing we find about the old covenant is that it was faulty and the new covenant is faultless. Uh, then in verse 13, it finally says um, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first old. Now that which is old decays, gr- decays and grows old and is ready to vanish away. So the old covenant was temporary. The new covenant is eternal. Now, if we compare that very quickly to the Ten Commandments, what we find is, are there any poor promises in the Ten Commandments? Clearly not. Ephesians 6, verse 1 to 3, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with you and you may live long on the earth. Is the Ten Commandments faulty in any way, shape, or form? Romans 7, verse 7 and 12, Wherefore the law, that's the Ten Commandments, is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. So there's no fault in the Ten Commandments. And finally, was the Ten Commandments to be abolished? We know the Old Covenant was to be abolished. And Romans 3, verse 31 says, Do we then abolish the law through faith? God forbid we establish the law. So it's clearly, very, very clearly not the old the, the old covenant is not the law of God. However, the law of God relates to both covenants. So let's read what the new covenant is. The Bible says in verse 10, For this is the new covenant that I'll make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind. I will write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. The difference between the Old Covenant and the New Covenant in many ways is where the law is written. And in the New Covenant, the Bible says that the law is written in your heart. The biggest difference, of course, is who it is that is making the promises under the Old Covenant in Exodus chapter 19. That's where you find the Old Covenant before the Ten Commandments. You find that it is the people who make the promises. Everything that God says, we will do and we will be obedient. Have you ever tried to keep God's law by yourself, Mon? Oh, it's impossible. Yeah, that's right. And it didn't work you for them either. You give it a either. fair crack, but no. Yeah, they lasted a couple of weeks and they're dancing around a golden calf. Um, but here God says, no, I'm going to make the promises and my promises never fail. My promises are never faulty. 
I promise to write my law in your heart and in your mind. In your mind so you know what it says, in your heart so that you want to do what it says. In other words, the new covenant is the conversion experience where God takes away your sin and makes you into a new and completely different person. It goes on to say, And they shall not teach every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me. So the new covenant we find is based on knowing God. Knowing God and the conversion experience. That's the new covenant right there. Amen. Thank you, Lyle. If you've got a question, you know what to do. Give us a call. 1-800-FAITH-FM. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came ruin sinners to reclaim hallelujah what a savior bearing shame and scoffing wrote in my place condemned he stood Welcome back, guys. We have come to the end of our show. That was Anthem Lights with the Hallelujah Medley here on Faith FM. We are about to give something away, and I'm actually pretty excited about this book right here. I was just having a quick flick through uh, while the music was on, and yeah, Mon, yeah. tell us all about We're gonna like this uh, one. Spirit Baptism and Waiting on God by so Dennis Smith. It is a book, a uh, wonderful book. It's... Um 
It says on the front cover, the weighty on God teaching that this book presents must be understood and experienced by all who will be ready for the final crisis and Christ's second coming. Uh, so this book will give the biblical teaching of why God allows difficult trials, of why sometimes God doesn't seem to hear your prayers, of why you never again need to become fearful when difficult times come your way, and how you can develop a more intimate relationship with God. So you want to cultivate that covenant that we have with Jesus. This is definitely a book to help you along your way. Mm. We only have one copy. We are giving it away for free this morning. Spirit Baptism and Way on God by Dennis Smith. If you would like to have this copy, give us a call now. 1-800-FAITH-FM. First person to call us on 1-800-324-843. You can text your details 0491-064-669 if you're a bit quicker with your thumbs. On the texting, you're free to uh, enter that way. First person through will have this book sent to them today. Okay, a great book there by Dennis Smith, and uh, he has a number of um, excellent books out there. So I'd encourage you to give us a call, and don't forget, as we remind you every morning, if you would like to know more about the Bible, we can make that happen for you online uh, via correspondence, one-on-one with a uh, Bible instructor, or in a small group setting, whatever way you want to learn the Bible, however you way, however you. Uh, learn best, just let us know and we will make that happen for you. Yes, and if you want to get a better signal, download the TuneIn app, Search of Faith from Australia and tune in through that to us every morning. Of course, we'll be back tomorrow morning after the 7 o'clock news. We hope you have a wonderful, blessed day. Give us a call if you want to share your blessings. We'll share it with the world. Morning by morning I wake up to find the power and comfort of God's hand in mine. Season by season, I watch Him amazed in awe of the mystery of His perfect ways.
free.